This is the word of the Lord. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was uh, walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. They discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word. Such a gift to us. A word that speaks to us authoritatively. And uh, Lord, your ways are so beyond our comprehension and it is such a mercy, such a grace that you condescend, you come down to us to speak to us uh, these words as your children. And, and Lord, we long to have our, our minds and our hearts shaped by the truth of your word. And so we pray that you, you would send your Holy Spirit now to be our teacher, open our minds to understand the things you have to say to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know that uh, many of you woke up this morning and said, you know, I really, I need a sermon on epistemology this morning. And the Lord knew what you needed because that's what you're getting this morning is a sermon on epistemology. You are in luck. And if you're not familiar with the word epistemology, epistemology is, uh, simply means the study of how we know things, the study of knowledge. And which, uh, the word epistemology, I know some of you might hear that and think that sounds like an academic kind of philosophical topic, but it's actually a, a, a major part of every Christian's life and especially Christians who are living in the modern world. This is a very important topic for all of us. And so, for example, you know, it's not, it, it, it's, uh, it would not be uncommon for, someone, all, for any of us to meet someone who would say, you know, there's really no way that I could ever believe in the Bible. I'm a modern, rational person. And with all the miracles that happen in the Bible, I just, there's no way I could believe in that because I'm a, I'm a, I believe in reason. And, and this is beyond reason. And, uh, and when someone says something like that, this is an epistemological statement. Basically, they're saying the reason I believe the things I believe in is because of reason. I've worked through them rationally. And as much as we think that way as modern people, the main way that we actually come to believe the things that we believe in is really not by reason. It's largely by trusted authorities. You know, for example, probably most of us in this room believe that the earth travels around the sun once a year. And probably zero people in this room have actually done the computations on that or done the measurements to, to believe that. It's because there's a trusted scientific authority who has told us that. And actually, most of the scientists haven't even done that calculation. And they all believe it. The vast majority of the things we believe in is because a trusted authority has told it to us. Authority is how we come to believe things. And as you saw in this passage I just read, Jesus uh, is having a discussion with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and the topic 
that they are discussing is authority. Uh, you see there in verse 27, it says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? Actually, if you were here last week, you know Jesus came into the temple and he was throwing over the tables of the, the people who were selling things in the temple courtyard. And so, uh, and so they're saying, what, what, authority, what right do you have to do this? Um, or who gave you this authority to do them? And so this is a, uh, an incredibly pertinent question for us. If knowledge comes from authorities, where do we go? What authority do we look to to base our knowledge about God? And about the very meaning of our existence and why we're here and what life is about. What authority do we look to to get that knowledge? And so to answer that question, we have to talk about epistemology. That's what epistemology is about. So as we look at Mark chapter 11, I want to uh, point out three things about epistemology from this passage. And this is what they are. Is that first, all thinking is built on presuppositions. Second, all thinking is motivated by our desires. And third, all thinking begins with humility. Three things I want to point out, that all thinking uh, is built on presuppositions, all thinking is motivated by our desires, and third, all thinking begins with humility. And I think this question is relevant uh, to all of us, especially living in a culture that, that Christianity is in decline, confidence in the authority of the Bible is in decline, and so these are things that we need to understand. So, three points this morning. The first is, all thinking is built on presuppositions. All thinking is built on presuppositions. What do I mean by presuppositions? Well, presupposition is a foundational belief that you cannot prove, but on which you build other beliefs. So it's kind of like the foundation of a house. Oftentimes, uh, presuppositions, you don't even realize they're there. It's kind of like the foundation of a house. You don't even see it. And the whole house is built on something that you don't even realize is there. And so uh, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, many of you know, before I became a pastor, I, my dream had been to be a math professor. And I did a master's in math when I was going to the, uh, Western Washington University here in town and did a year of a PhD program. And uh, the class that really formed my deep love for math was Math 312, Proofs in Elementary Analysis. It was taught by the fantastic professor Bronco Churgis, greatest math name there ever was, Bronco Churgis. And I loved this class. And, uh, and it was a class where we were going to start from the ground up and build everything about math with, from the very basics. From the, you know, it's, math is this huge construct of theorems and propositions and lemmas and all these things. We're going to build the whole thing from the ground up. And on the first day of class, Dr. Turgis comes to the class and he hands out a piece of paper and it had eight axioms on it. And he said, okay, we're going to prove everything about math in this class, but these eight axioms you can't prove. And you have to start with these eight axioms. And they're pretty basic things, like if you take a number and you multiply a number by zero, you get zero every single time. And can you prove that with every number? You can't prove it. You just have to assume that that's true. Or A plus B is equal to B plus A. It doesn't matter what order you do a sum, you always get the same number. Can you prove that? You can't prove it. You just have to assume it. You have to take it on faith. And basically what he's saying is there are kind of self-evident truths that you're just supposed to embrace that you can't prove that is the very foundation of this whole construct of math. And we think of math as like the most rational subject, 
The whole thing is built on faith. And so as Christians, what are these foundational beliefs, the axioms that we have for our intellectual life as we think about God and the very meaning of our existence? Well, our first presupposition is Jesus himself. Jesus is our presupposition, the person of Christ, that God became a man in Jesus Christ, the God who created all things. He died for the sins of the world. He's conquered death. He's, he's now enthroned in heaven and been given all authority in heaven and earth. You know, basically what we say in the Apostles' Creed every week after the sermon, that's our presupposition, okay? It's the person of Christ. Now, the first thing to notice about this passage is that when the chief priests and the elders ask Jesus a question, he immediately answers with another question. So they ask him a question, where do you get this authority to be doing all these things? And then it says in verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you a, one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus says, I'm going to be the one asking the questions, not you. You don't examine me, I examine you. And that's, of course, the exact opposite of how our culture approaches questions about God. You know, our culture would say, well, basically, there's all these um, options of gods and spiritualities that you can find, and I will evaluate them and decide whether they meet my standard, and I'll pick the one that is most favorable to me. And uh, C.S. Lewis wrote an article in, in 1948 where he addresses one of the great challenges of communicating the Christian faith to modern people. And, he, and in the end of the article, he, he compares a modern person to an ancient person. He says this is what the big difference is. He says, the ancient man approaches God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. See, the ancient person understood God's the creator, I'm the creature, I have to give an account to him, not the other way around. But he says, for the modern man, the roles are reversed. The modern man is the judge. God is in the dock. The dock is a place where a defendant would be sitting in a courtroom. So God's the defendant in the courtroom. He, uh, the modern man is quite a kindly judge. Uh, if God should have a reasonable defense for being a God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he's ready to listen to him. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God in the dock. That's how we think we're the judges, and God is on trial. The God of the Bible is on trial. And, uh, and this is totally backwards. And so Jesus says to these religious leaders, the problem with this conversation is you're trying to scrutinize me, but I am here to scrutinize you as the leaders who are, who are failing to be fruitful, we saw last time in, in, the, in the passage. And so the axiom, the unproven foundation of everything everything we think and do as Christians is the basis that Jesus has bid all of us to follow him, to make him our master, and he is our master intellectually. And uh, he is our authority. And the, the foundational assumption of everything about our lives, our actions, our behavior, our thinking, our loves, our desires, is we believe that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. I don't question him, he questions me. And I'll say, if you're visiting today, and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm, I'm interested in learning about Christianity. What does it mean to follow Christ? You have to be aware that you have many unproven presuppositions about the things you believe in your life. And you might think that, oh, the Bible's asking me to just take this on faith. But there are all kinds of things that you either believe based on faith or because some authority has told that to you. 
And what we are presenting to you is to say, we're uh, saying that Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And is there someone more trustworthy than Jesus Christ? We would encourage you, read the Gospels. Read them for yourselves. Read the accounts of Jesus' life and teaching and what he did and what he said. And is there anyone that you have met or you've heard from that is more trustworthy than this man? And when you come to see him as trustworthy, he becomes the deep presupposition, the foundation who explains everything. Because all reason is built, so all of our reason is built on the presupposition that Jesus is our creator and Lord. But it turns out that in this passage, there's something even more profound. That it's not only that Jesus is the presupposition for Christians, for people who believe in the Bible, but the second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is in some respects everyone's presupposition. He is already their presupposition. And, uh, and I think it's important to observe Jesus' strategy in this conversation with the chief priests and the elders. You see the question that he asked them. Look at verse 30. So they, they say, hey, where did you get authority to do all this? He says, I have a question. I'm going to be the one asking you questions. And then he says in verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? What Jesus is saying is if you look at the presuppositions that in Jesus' day everyone knew to be true, everyone knew John the Baptist was a prophet. These leaders believed it. All the people believed it. And he says, if you believe that presupposition that John, why didn't you believe him when he said that Jesus is the Messiah? John the Baptist was said, I, don't follow me, follow him. And so the scribes and the elders are unwilling to look at even their own presuppositions. Are there presuppositions in our culture? that actually presuppose the God of the Bible that people believe in, you know, a foundation that they didn't even realize is there, they didn't even see was there. And absolutely, there's all kinds of them. You know, we've already talked about how modern people see themselves as very rational and scientific. But if you say, well, how did we believe that science was real? I mean, there's huge presuppositions in science. Science says that all of matter in the universe works in a, a coherent and consistent and predictable manner. And not only that, but the patterns of all of nature cohere with our consciousness so that when we think of equations, it actually matches up with reality. That is a huge assumption that you could never prove. And in fact, many people didn't believe in it. I mean, it's a huge historical problem of why did the Chinese not develop uh, science. You know, they had done all kinds of engineering. The Greeks had done all kinds of engineering. The golden age of Islam had done all kinds of engineering. All of them believed that matter was actually chaotic and unpredictable, and it did not cohere with our minds. It was Christians who believed the world, the universe was made by a rational God, and we are made in his image. And so it makes sense that our minds and the way of nature would cohere and agree with one another. So actually the whole presupposition of science is the God of the Bible. That's where we got science. And there's all kinds of things that this is true with. You know, you take morality. Most people believe in right and wrong. You know, you should do that or you shouldn't do that. Well, morality means there is a spiritual standard that all humans are accountable to. How are you going to prove that in a science lab, that there's some spiritual standard that we're all accountable to? You can't. 
But we have basically all been taught the morality of Jesus. So much of the morality of our society came from Jesus. Societies did not believe in what we believe in is right and wrong until Jesus came. So again, the whole presupposition of our society is Jesus Christ himself. He's not just the presupposition of Christians. He's the presupposition of everyone. It's true also about human rights. Why do we believe in human rights? The Bible says humans are made in God's image, and so they have value and dignity, and they should be, they should be given rights by their governments, and their governments should be, have limited powers. That came from the Bible. That's an assumption of the Bible. Uh, it's true that why do, people, why do we believe in mass literacy? Christians said people need to be able to read the Bible, so we need to teach everyone to read. I mean, this goes on and on. That even a society that doesn't believe in Jesus, its own presuppositions and foundations are that Jesus Christ is Lord. The world only makes sense in him. And that's true whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And so that raises another question. If people are unwilling to face their own presuppositions... How is their thinking working? You say, well, that doesn't seem rational. Why don't you face your own? There's some other dynamic at play here. There was some other dynamic at play with these elders and these chief priests in Jerusalem. And so that leads to a second thing that we learn about epistemology. So the first thing we learn is that all thinking is built on presuppositions. And as Christians, we say Jesus Christ is Lord, is our presupposition of all knowledge. And it turns out, actually, he's the presupposition of many non-Christians as well. But the second thing we learn about epistemology is that all thinking is also motivated by our desires. All human thinking is motivated and formed by our desires. Our minds tend to follow our hearts, not the other way around. It's not that our desires think, well, what's the most rational thing, and now my heart is going to go to that. No, my heart wants certain things, and we use our minds to justify the things that our hearts want. And I began this sermon by saying that it's common for someone to say, well, I can't believe in the Bible because I'm a rational human being. And, you know, that idea that I'm basically a thinking person, that's the decisions I made in my life was because I came to a rational decision. And most of us know people aren't like that. Uh, but the reason we think like that is that comes from Descartes. Descartes' famous saying, I think, therefore I am. And that's, that was the modern world, is we think, oh, humans are primarily rational beings. And you might say, well, there's a lot more to humans than just being rational. They have these emotions and passions and desires and, and you know, relationships, all kinds of things that are shaping them. And in this passage, the chief priests and the elders oppose Jesus, not because of a rational disbelief. That's not why they don't believe in Jesus. Actually, Jesus is the one who's being rational in this passage, but because these leaders had a huge investment in the system that they were a part of, and the system was the temple complex in Jerusalem. The temple was a huge, it's like 33 acre, it's a, it had a courtyard, I mean, it's this massive thing, and it was the thing that made them feel like the Jews are someone special, and, and not only are the Jews, our people, someone special, but we're the leaders, the chief priests. We have a tremendous amount of authority and investment in this whole system. And so they're trying to maintain their status in this system. And so you notice what these chief priests and elders really care about. It comes out there in verse 32. 
But, uh, but shall, so Jesus says, you know, John the Baptist, was John the Baptist, was his authority from heaven or was it from man? And they say, well, we can't say from heaven because they say, why, why don't you believe in him? But then it says in verse 32, but shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people. The game that the chief priests and the scribes and the elders are playing, it's not about figuring out what's true. They're keeping tabs on what are all the people thinking. What are the crowds thinking? They need to keep their reputation among the crowds. This politics is what they're doing. doing. They have a deep motivation driving what they believe in and what they regard as an authority. And that's why I say all thinking is also motivated by a whole host of human desires that are under, underneath our rationality. And as much as we want to think that our beliefs come solely from our reason, our beliefs come from the crowds. What are the people saying? And that's true. Uh, we believe in things intellectually that we have an investment in. And uh, Jonathan Haidt is a, uh, he's a professor at New York University. He writes about both business and psychology. And he's, you know, uh, he, he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind, which talks about how, you know, there's been a lot of tests that show people largely use their reason not to determine what they believe in. They use their reason like a lawyer to defend what they really care about. And so they've already decided what they believe in, and that's usually an emotional thing that they decided in. And then reason is there to make a whole case to justify why they believe in the things that they believe in in their heart. That's largely how we use reason. And now if you're very self-controlled, maybe you can use reason to lead you to some truth. But in the past century or so, that's been one of the major critiques of the kind of scientific, purely rationalist epistemology of the modern world. As many people pointed out, Listen, scientists have a lot invested in their, the things that they're discovering. You know, for example, if you get a grant, let's say you have a hypothesis, and you go to the state or someone, and you go to a university, and you get money to prove your hypothesis. Are you going to use that money to go prove that your hypothesis is wrong? No, you have an investment in your, you know, if the experiment didn't work to prove your hypothesis, what are you going to do? I'm going to make a new experiment that does prove my hypothesis, right? It's because there's so much, my reputation, uh, my finances, and of course, that's created a tremendous amount of cynicism in, in our culture, you know, of course, COVID, that happened a lot of COVID. There's a lot of money and politics all mixed in with science. And so all of us feel this sense of there... It, Pure rationality is not happening. And just like these chief priests and, the, and these elders. And um, knowledge is never purely objective. Because Christians, we believe there is such a thing as objective reality. Something that's outside of myself. But I never know it purely objectively. I'm always personally involved in it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just need to be aware of it. You know, I told you I was going to get a PhD in, in math. And then during the orientation for getting a PhD in math, they told all the students, they said, listen, you can only get a PhD in math if you love math, if you are passionate, devoted to it. And you're like, I would have thought to get a PhD in math, you just need to be very rational. It's not an emotional love thing. No, absolutely you need to be uh, in love with this. And you think of us as Christians are we Christ Christians just because it's this rational thing that we believe in? I mean, imagine if I was going to decide to not be a Christian. 
It would, could that possibly just be a rational thing? I'd lose my job. I'd lose my whole community. I, it would massively disrupt my family. I mean, it would be an emotional upheaval. It's not purely a rational thing. I'm personally invested. You know, and you imagine, and that's not a bad thing. You imagine if someone came and said, you know what, Nate, um, we, the police show up at my door and they say, we have all the evidence perfectly that your wife murdered someone. It, it wouldn't matter how much evidence you came up with. Even if it was totally proven, I would say, I know my wife. And she did not murder anyone. It, like, I just, I know her. And that's the thing. It's not a purely, like, I've proven this systematically. It's the same with the Lord. It's not just the Bible is something that I've proven. This is something that I've lived. I've seen that Jesus is trustworthy. He's been good on his promises. I love him. And so we are invested in this. And we have to understand that that's true for someone who's not a Christian. You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you say, well, maybe I'll think about being a Christian. Listen, this isn't just like, well, maybe I'll believe in a little spirituality. This will turn your life upside down. Everything that you believe about the world will be challenged and changed. And believe me, it is good. It is worth it. I invite you to do it. But the Bible says your old life is going to have to die, and you're going to be resurrected with Jesus. That's the kind of thing that we're a part of. It's not just this purely rational kind of scientific things. It involves all of us, and it is deeply personal. That is how knowledge is. And that's why Pascal says, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. All thinking is deeply motivated by our deepest desires. We are whole persons. Rational, emotional, relational, social, all of these things, spiritual, are all at play, and that's not a bad thing. But that does mean, because we're not totally rational, we're going to have some blind spots. You know, when our emotions are affecting our reason, we got to be aware of that. Oh, okay, I'm bringing a lot to whatever conversation that I'm having. And so that's why we need a third point as we think about epistemology. So, so first, all thinking is built on presuppositions. Jesus is not only our presupposition, but actually many of the things that our culture believes in, are they have Jesus as their presupposition as well, even if they recognize him or not. And then second, all thinking is motivated by our desires. Um, we have investment in the things that we believe in. And because of these two things, we need a third truth that all thinking begins with humility. All thinking begins with humility. And so in this passage, the temple leaders you have asked Jesus, who gave you this authority? And he says, well, I'll ask you a question. John the Baptist's authority, was, he from, was it from heaven or was it from man? And, uh, and they're like, oh, we don't want to answer that question. So then it says in verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus knows they don't really care about where his authority, they don't care if Jesus has authority. They don't really want to know where did your authority come from. They don't really want the answer to the question. And so he's not going to play the game with them. He says, if you're unwilling to submit to my authority humbly, then uh, I'm not going to give you the knowledge you want. You don't get knowledge unless you come to Christ with humility. True thinking begins with humility. And probably the most important verse on epistemology in the Bible is Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want true knowledge, it begins with fearing God, that he is creator and you are creature. He is judge, and we are the ones who will appear before the judge and have our lives examined. And so that challenges us. Is that the way that we approach the things that we know? Is the deepest things that we believe in, do we say, well, you know, ultimately I follow my heart and my emotions. If, my, if it doesn't resonate with me emotionally, I won't believe in it. That's making my emotions and my heart into an idol like God. Or do I say, you know, I follow the current experts, whatever the current experts are saying. That's what I follow. And the authorities, the scientists know what they're saying. Scientists know all kinds of things that they are authorities. But they're not an ultimate authority, certainly not. Or is it that I believe God's word because there can be no higher authority than our creator? I think there are many people who think that if I believe in the Bible, basically my intellectual life is going to get narrowed. It's like the Bible's this prison that puts people's intellect into jail, and they have no freedom for their intellect. And my experience has been the exact opposite. And I was a high school dropout before I was a Christian. And it was the Bible that opened my intellectual life to everything about culture and philosophy and history and politics, the arts, literature. Following Jesus has completely opened up my intellectual mind because Jesus becomes our intellectual master, which makes sense because Jesus is the most brilliant person who ever lived. I mean, do we all know that Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived? I mean, you might say, well, we don't have a lot of his words in the Bible. That's even more impressive, that he is so efficient with his words, that he just says exactly what needs to be said, that it can build whole civilizations with just a few words. I mean, that's incredible power. I mean, in, in most studies, if you can do things efficiently, that is a sign of your skill. Jesus is immensely skillful. And to follow him only enriches your intellectual life. So the greatest obstacle to learning, to wonder, and to growth is pride. Saying, I already know it all. True knowledge begins with humility. And the only way to plunge into the depths of the knowledge of God is to have the humility to say, God is beyond my comprehension. Lord, reveal yourself to me. The only way I can know you is not for me to come up to you, but for you to come down to me. And God has. That is, Jesus Christ is the creator saying, this is who I am. And if you want to know me, behold my face in Jesus Christ. Listen to my son. And so the center of our epistemology is the person, Jesus Christ. He is our presupposition. We can't prove him. We can't prove the king. You know, like, no. We can only bow before him and worship him is what we can do. He's the foundation of all reality. But also, our thinking comes from our deepest desires. And being a Christian means Jesus is not just an intellectual fascination, but we've come to know him and to love him and to trust him. Our knowledge of him is deeply personal. And so let us come to him with humility, fearing him as the true Lord in the beginning of all wisdom. For we cannot attain to the knowledge of God on our own strength, but God has come down to us in Jesus Christ, and he has made himself known. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for what a rich life it is to follow your son.
we are amazed at his wisdom and at his authority. How refreshing that he refuses to be questioned by these chief priests, these leaders, but he questions them. Lord, we long to have such authority in our lives. And so, Lord, as we read these texts, we read about the Son of God who is worthy of our trust. So, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people that is confident in the revelation you've given to us in your word and um, uh, help us to, to know your word even more deeply and with confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.